This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on speechtherapypd.com. All you need to do is register for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. Speechtherapypd.com is a video continuing education company, a certified ASHA CE provider. First Bite sure does love some freebies, and I grew up loving some coupons. That's my kinfolk's way of saying coupons. I can't even say it correctly. (laughs) And so to start the new year off right, we wanted to do a little give back. So if you head on over to speechtherapypd.com and enter the code FIRSTBITE, not to be confused with the autocorrect of Frostbite, well, then you will find a fabulous $10 off coupon for an annual subscription. That will give you access to all of the one to three hour webinar courses, as well as all the First Byte pod courses for CEUs for an annual membership of only $79. But hey, do you want more? Don't you love that cheesy sales line? I love that cheesy sales line. Okay, well, if you do, you can use that same coupon, First Byte, and access all of the courses on speechtherapypd.com's website for a fabulous deal of $179 a year. Whoop, whoop. So don't forget, plug in the coupon First Bite when you check out at the speechtherapypd.com website. Happy listening, y'all. Hi, it's Erin. I'm your regular co-host of First Bite. First of all, I want to thank y'all so much for tuning and listening to First Bite. We've been incredibly encouraged and excited by the feedback we've received and are looking forward to the future. In the meantime, if you've been enjoying First Bite, please take a moment, maybe pause your device to subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. This podcast started out as a small idea to bring convenient, tangible resources to SLPs and other professionals, and we value your feedback more than anything. Leaving those reviews truly helps us out. Enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening. folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the All Things Peds SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in Cola Town, South Carolina, and guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light and hope to the world for the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding best practice for running a private practice, and all the nitty-gritty details involving feeding and swallowing by interviewing the subject matter experts themselves. We bring the data to you. Every fourth episode, I am joined by the lovely Erin Forward, MSP, CF, SLP, a Yankee transplant who actually inspired this journey and who also walks the wild, woolly, and sometimes sticky walk of early intervention with us. Sit back, relax, and watch out for all the squirrels, and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional resources for the pediatric clinician. 
I am your host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. The topic of today falls in the functional category, and we are talking all things cold Rocky Mountains in private practice. Haha, <laughs> I heard what a couple of y'all were thinking. No, I am not talking about a cold can that has blue mountains on the side. I am talking all things private practice with the director of Sierra Therapy Group, the one and only Miss Shauna Ross. Now, this sweet lady has a special spot in my heart. As first, she is equally nerdy and passionate speech-language pathologist. And second, she is a fearless boy mom. That translates to a fair amount of money kisses, way too many collections of sticks and rocks, and all the fart jokes the ladies could handle. And in her world, baseball and in mine, soccer. Now, I first met Shauna several years ago when, as grace and chance would have it, we were placed in the same small group for our ASHA Leadership Development Program, the ASHA LDP, that henceforth became known for us as the source. So whoop, whoop, shout out to all the source ladies. Now, I was blown away by her planned project. She wanted to challenge her state's Blue Cross Blue Shield reimbursement rates. What? What? I thought to myself, you can actually ask questions about that, much less ask for a rate increase. What? Now, Talk about a tenacious and driven spirit. What floored me is how introspective and reflective she truly was in her determination to provide the best services for her patients, while simultaneously advocating for the day-to-day livelihood of her peers and staff. Now, by now, y'all know I have a tendency to open foot and insert mouth or jump two feet first into a problem. But Shauna inspired me to really sit back, write it down, reflect upon all the stakeholders, and then charge ahead with maybe occasionally slightly less steam and a little bit more refinement. So I looked to her and her model when I opened up my own private practice, and I haven't looked back. So Shauna, I'm used to seeing all your snowy adventures on the wide world of the internet, But how in the blue blazes does therapy work when you're three feet under a snow? Because if we get like a snowflake here, Columbia shuts down. (laughs) Oh, Michelle, I have to correct you on one little thing from your introduction. Okay. I'm near a different mountain range than Rockies. So where are you near? (laughs) We are in Reno, Nevada, which is in at the base of the Sierra Nevadas, which is the last mountain range before you get to California and the coast. I thought they were all the same thing. <laughs> no, no. No. You know, when we met in Minneapolis, I didn't know that I was technically west of the Mississippi, nor did I know that that was the river or like went through Minneapolis. So yeah, God bless America. I may be a somewhat smart SLP occasionally, but when it comes to geography, thank goodness we got the Mr. Dawson and I have a Waze app. <laughs> yes. It's not my strength either. We look to Google for some of that. (laughs) Yeah, the Google. Do the Google. That's a great verb and adjective and noun Mm -hmm. and all parts of speech right there. Oh, that's funny. Well, no, but seriously, you guys get like a boatload of snow. Is that, are y'all prepared for that out there? Like, how do you work? I think we just have to have some flexibility and know that those are our days that we can maybe jump in and get a whole bunch of paperwork done. Okay. The school district is a lot faster to call snow days than we are at the private practice. So we kind of follow the state. If the state office is closed, then we'll close down the office. But we always leave it up to the parents um, if they feel safe coming in. And we have people who have lived here their whole lives and they'll go out in it. So I think in 
the 12, 13 years that we've been open, we've only closed the office two or three times. And what? one of the times was because of flooding. It was, there was some significant flooding. So, yeah. Oh, my stars. Mm, I think the most snow, it has snowed once, I think, in Bear's entire life. And he's four years mm-hmm. old. And he's so funny. We have a blanket in the living room and he puts it on the floor and it's one of those like crushed velvety thingies because it's so soft, right? Not that I'm a sensory seeker. And he lays down on it and he goes, mom, watch me make a floor angel because we don't have snow to make a snow angel. And I don't know if that's brilliant or pitiful. All right. Well, enough embarrassing snow and lack of snow stories. Let's roll right to it because we've got a lot of ground to cover today, ma'am. And this is one that... I feel like you will have better advice than I did because I did not have a clue here. But one of the worries that I carried when I first set up my private practice was my timeline and my initial legal to do, like my business plan, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I really didn't think of a business plan until afterwards. So how long did you prep and plan prior to opening and what steps were involved? And I know this can vary like state to state, but there are some like regular guidelines that we should all do? And what about like private practice insurances? So that's a really big question, but help. (laughs) Yeah, that is a big one. I'm trying to think timeline. We opened like June 1st, end of May, June 1st. So when we first started, I had a business partner. And so she was also a speech language pathologist. And then her husband had a master's degree in business and MBA. And my husband had the business background. So I feel like they, the husbands kind of took charge on what we needed to do from the business background and taxes. And then Michael and I focused more on building, looking into the insurance plans, trying to find out about malpractice liability, thinking about our name and our logo. And the fun part, we had a great time shopping for toys. I can still remember that day. (laughs) We filled up two huge baskets. We were at Toys R Us and people were like, oh my gosh, what are you guys doing? That was one of my favorite days was the focusing on the the practice part of it. But timeline, we probably started talking in the final part of that year and then really dove into stuff like February, March. Yeah. Were y'all at another private practice prior to this? Uh, We each had done work at different private practices in Reno. Yeah. For our first jobs. Okay. Mm Okay. All right. So how many years out from your CF were you? I was a year and a half. Are you kidding me? You opened a private practice 18 months after getting your CF. I did. Yes, I did. Good Lord Almighty. Okay. The practice I was at, I learned I learned a great deal from, but it was, or it still is, it's still a practice here that they see uh, the lifespan. So they saw kids all the way through adults. And while I learned a lot, I felt very spread thin seeing both kids and adults. And my passion was with kids. And so my friend, Michael had reached out and said, do you want to do this? And at that point I was considering maybe going for my PhD and life took me down the private practice road. So. Yeah. I'm curious. Did you guys have children yet? No, no, we did not. Nope. That came in like five or six years later, I think. If, if I'm doing the math right. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> it was not right then. Yeah, no, I was just wondering if that had, you know, a- occurred right then and there as well. Now, it's interesting because my husband also has an MBA mm-hmm. and he very much took in with the business side of it. Like he helped me, you know, write out like all the to-do lists. Like, you know, you've got to get, you know, a website and it needs to, you need to have these resources. And I mean, things that 
we are not trained for as clinicians. So I was very grateful that his engineering slash, you know, MBA mindset kind of helped. Yeah. And we also utilized um, some of the resources at our local university, the University of Nevada, Reno. They have a small business development program and department, and they meet with people in the community who are setting up small businesses. And I think even though Ryan knew, Ryan's my husband, knew some of that stuff, it was invaluable for me to also hear it and be involved with that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Grow as, as the business owner yourself. Okay. So now you you touched on something really quick, the insurances. When I first started, I had it's one of whatever the insurance, the private practice insurance advertised primarily through ASHA. I had that as a single practitioner. And when I started, because it was just myself. And then when I went to renew, you know, I called and talked to them. And even though I still am single shack, because I have a lady that does my referral coordination, and then I contract a lady for billing, they recommended that I do the the private practice one. So it went from like 110 a year to like 300 a year. Oh, that's for the malpractice, malpractice insurance? Yes. So even though they're not seeing direct clinical hours, they had you put them on your plan? Yes. On the grounds that they were still processing like HIPAA information, those kind of things. That's interesting. And maybe it's different in Nevada, but I don't feel like those people are on my plan. That's maybe something I should look into. But this is very cool. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So did y'all carry an insurance for your whole company when you first set up or was it just for your like individual self? No, we set one up under the business. At that point, uh, we our name was the Sierra Speech and Language Group and we set the plan up okay. under that and then we were we were just each listed. And then as we hired employees from there, added them over time. Okay. Interesting. Now, do you have the the employees carry the, or suggest that the employees carry their own individual insurance? No, nope. We don't. We don't okay. require that since we since they're covered under our plan. Okay, okay. Because that was something that years ago when I was working at the hospital, they said I would be covered under like hospital insurance. But you know, my dad was like, mm, "Girl, it's always good to yeah. carry your own." <laughs> so like, huh? Odd little bitty thought processes that, you know, happen. Okay. Now, one thing that you, that you said kind of piqued my curiosity. You started as a Sierra speech and language group, but you changed the Sierra therapy group. What caused the change? Yeah. So when we very first started, it was just the two of us providing speech pathology services to kids. And a couple of years in, we approached an occupational therapist about joining us and being able to offer, you know, those multiple practices for kids. And so we wanted our name to then encompass what we were doing and not just the speech part, because we wanted that as a marketing tool and for people to know that we weren't just speech and language. So we went through the paperwork and we added a DBA doing business as. So our legal name is still the Sierra Speech and Language Group, but our business name on all of our logos and our website and on the building is Sierra Therapy Group. So that did lead to a little confusion with insurance companies and even the community as we made that shift. But we did that probably two or three years in. So we're pretty well established with that name now. Okay. Huh. Was that scary branching out into a new into a new therapy group? Or I mean, did that happen very 
easily or I mean, adding in like the OT and that kind of resource? Yeah, I think it, I think it was pretty seamless. Actually, there's, there's a huge need in Reno for occupational therapists. So I think it naturally just kind of happened. And I had learned enough about billing and how to get authorization. And it was easy enough to find the codes and kind of figure out what to do. And, you know, we're such like-minded professions and the practice I came from actually had speech OT and PT. So I was used to that oh, multidisciplinary kind of model. Uh-huh. Okay. Huh. I'm still trying to survive the one speech therapist mm-hmm. and that is me. So like the thought process of having in like a whole nother discipline is like awe inspiring and scary at the same time. It did really add an element of time management and extra time in regard to scheduling because a lot of the families wanted to either do back-to-back schedules or we were, we do also provide co-treatments where they get the speech and OD at the same time. And that could get, that could get really tricky. So my schedule is, it's still a paper-based and then I put it into the computer system, but I have to see it visually. Like what spots do we have open? Where can we reschedule people? So yeah, that part was, it, it was like one of those games you used to play in school, like the, the thinking games where you had to fill in all the blocks where they gave you some of the information. It's kind of like that. <laughs> I love how as you say that, I'm going to take a picture and send you this picture real quick, folks. Bear with me while I do this, because this is what I had laid out right before we started. I had my entire calendar laid out that I paper penciled and I had a backdrop on my like clinic source or like, you know, mm-hmm. that schedule. And it's just, yeah, so I, I find this. Quite delightful. Yes, I've never been able to get rid of the paper system. I still use a paper planner and I put some things in my phone and on the online one, but I need to see it, the type of learner I am. Yes, yes. Because I was convinced that this would, you know, I what, what happens if the internet goes down, man? That's my fear. We'll know how to call. We'll just call your husband. Yeah. <laughs> he can fix <pick> yeah. it. <laughs> okay. All right. So for folks, if y'all don't know it, her husband's in, in the IT world. So in Michelle land, that means that they all know how to fix the internet. It'll be fine. Don't worry. <laughs> all right. So when you were setting up the business, I know one of my biggest fears was, all right, so I got, I got a great website and I got a Facebook page, but how do I actually get referrals? So did you consult with a PR person or hire someone to do marketing? Or how did you go about setting up word of mouth that you guys were available for patients? Yeah, we did not hire anybody. I mean, at that point, we wouldn't have had the funds or the resources to do that. So we took a long time putting the website together and putting our quotes together and really making it parent friendly. We created the pamphlets or brochures and then had those printed. We dropped off information. I was going to say, what did you do with the brochures? Did you mail them to people? Yeah, we, we pretty much dropped stuff off in person in the very beginning. We went to preschools and pediatricians. But I think the biggest thing for us in the beginning was word of mouth and support from our university program. I went to the University of Nevada, Reno and had kept in contact with the professors. And so I think that was huge because when they were doing assessments and couldn't get them into the clinic program, they started referring. And then as we got the first couple of clients and those parents started talking to other parents. And I also had my colleagues that I had gone to grad school with, or I had met during the process of becoming a speech pathologist. And one in particular, I had helped her, Dr. Leslie Tolbert, while she was getting her PhD, I was a student 
I did like an independent study with her and I helped her train Head Start teachers using the hand-in program. And so she works in early intervention. And so when kids would age out of early intervention, she was a huge advocate of transitioning them into both the school district and then also with the supplemental private insurances. And so I think those relationships, they still are very valuable for us. But we did, like I said, do the pamphlets, brochures, and then Facebook wasn't, I can't remember if it had been started or not yet. So it wasn't a big avenue at that point. In our region, there was something called the Kids Directory. And we did advertise and pay for advertising in there, but we would really focus on developmental milestones and educating more so than saying like, bring your kids to us. We did more of education piece. And so that is no longer in print. And I feel like now with Facebook, you have to pay to get your things seen by certain populations. And I don't know how well that is working, but now that we're established, it's not end all be all for us. But we still utilize it. I still I still have a Facebook page and we put things on there and we do drive some referrals from that, but not like we did when we had the kids directory. Yeah. No, I, I can say when I first started Facebook, you didn't have to pay for the advertisements. Mm-hmm. So I got a fair amount from there. And then it was word of mouth. And primarily now, for me personally, it's word of mouth or just direct referrals from either the early interventionists themselves or the physicians. Yeah, we had made some of those relationships with the pediatricians. And now that I have boys, I mean, I see our pediatrician and he knows us and they kind of refer in Reno by where families are located. And so we're in South Reno. And so a lot of the pediatricians will refer South Reno families to us. And I mean, we still have families that drive in from other regions, but in terms of the pediatricians, that's more the referral stream we're kind of seeing. And y'all don't do any home health. It's all strictly at the clinic, right? Correct? No, we, we don't go to any homes. We do go to a few preschools or daycares that are very close to us. And we do a few sessions there, but yes, the majority is in the clinic. And then we also have some charter charter school contracts that we use to fill in the middle of the day hours, like that are harder to fill due to nap time and school schedules. Yep. Oh, nap times are so difficult. (laughs) Folks, when you're thinking about setting up a private practice, you might want to utilize nap times as an opportunity to eat lunch and write your notes for the day. Just putting that little bit of advice out there in the world because you're not going to most likely have a very productive speech therapy session during nap time. All right. Now, you you said something about, you know, we kind of like skirt the financial piece of it, but did you guys take out a business loan when you first started or did you have seed money saved up for it? What what was y'all's starting fund? If I'm remembering correctly, like I said, this is more... (laughs) This was more the husband's part, but if I remember correctly, I think we each put money into it and then paid ourselves back. So we did not take a business loan out. No, I did not take a business loan. And I think I started my entire private practice with $2,000 and sheer dumb luck. So that was it. I had enough money to Buy the scrubs, get them embroidered, start a website, get some testing kit. Yeah, and it was the blood, sweat, and tears in the long hours, right? So it's more than, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, it was, but I mean, like, I, in retrospect, I look back and I'm thinking, 
what was I thinking? I should have had three months salary mm-hmm. saved up. But I mean, like, you're never going to have three months salary mm-hmm. saved up. So like, yeah. yeah, just, yeah, it's blood, sweat, tears. Long hours. And yeah, but that's such a funny thought process. Yes. But on that note, I mean, my gosh, you're 12 years in. Almost 13. Yeah. Almost 13. And I'm like two and a half years in. And I wouldn't change it for the world. This is the coolest thing. I get to help people and do it how I think it should be done. And I'm sure you feel exactly the same way. Absolutely. There's been some practices both in the area and kind of on the West Coast. I don't know what it's like around, but as the insurance reimbursement rates have kind of shifted, they have, you know, cut their sessions shorter and shorter. And we're kind of passionate Mm -hmm. about keeping, we want to keep that we do 45 minute sessions and we used to do 50 minute sessions. So that is a little shift that we've done. If that quality ever changed, I would be looking in very different directions. Yes. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm there for an hour and you know, the last 10 minutes I'm type, I'm trying to write my notes with the patient's family, which gives me a good time to solidify any coaching that hasn't, you know, kind of close any coaching, answer any questions and review the home exercise program. But I mean, you know, I say an hour, but then there's tiny humans that fall asleep after a bottle. And then I bid you adieu after I feed your tiny human and put them to bed. (laughs) So like, yeah. Okay. Now there's something that you guys do. And folks, if you haven't checked out their website by now, because I mean, I'm assuming you're sitting on an exercise bike because that's where I listen to my podcast. Have you heard, was it 99% Invisible? I love that podcast. They go down random nerd facts. It's just wonderful. Or Star Talk Radio. I really, anybody knows Neil deGrasse Tyson. I would love to meet Neil deGrasse Tyson. Just putting the word out there. He's my favorite <laughs> astrophysicist. <laughs> that's, that's how I, but y'all's website is fantastic. And you guys do something really cool. It looks like for better hearing and speech month. So talk to me about yes, that. Yes. So uh, when we were right in the very beginning. So we opened up in June. So we missed that first May. So I was really excited to do something for Better Hearing and Speech Month. And I wanted it to be meaningful for the community. But then in the back of my head, I was Mm -hmm. also like, well, this could help drive the business as well, right? So we, for the past 12 years, this will be our 12th Better Hearing and Speech Month coming up this May. May of 2019 was our 12th. So what happens in May? So you do a cool thing in Better Hearing and Speech Month. So talk to me about that. So we opened in June. So we missed that first May. But I was excited to celebrate and do something in recognition of Better Hearing and Speech Month. And I wanted it to be meaningful for the community. But I also, in the back of my head, was thinking, well, we should probably do something that might help drive the business as well. So we Mm -hmm. decided to offer a free screening for Better Hearing and Speech Month. And so we held our 12th annual this past May, 2019, Better Hearing and Speech Month screening. And we used a screening that a professor at the University of Nevada, Reno had created. So it's not standardized. It's not out published, but it does a really good job of that quick look at kids between the ages of three and six to see if they would need that full assessment. And so we teamed up with the University of Nevada, Reno hearing department to offer a hearing screening as well. So we screen speech, oh, language, cool. hearing. And then when we added the OTN, we started adding a fine motor and sensory portion to the screening as well. So what was eye opening to me about doing that is we, I would say 80% of the families who come in for the free screening, we do it on a Saturday. The kids do need a full assessment. 
And I would say a majority of those families do not know about the free resources, like through our child find program, through the school district or some of the other funding sources. So I really love that we can educate them about where they could get those services if they don't have the private insurance or Medicaid or other means to pay for therapy. And so that was really, really eye-opening for me that we were meeting what ASHA wants for Better Hearing and Speech Month, like to educate about our profession and what it means for families and communication. That's a fantastic way to give back. I'm just thinking... There's a lovely lady here in Columbia, and she does screeners during Lexington Kids Mm -hmm. Day. And it's just speech screeners. I think it's the screening portion of like, there's a standardized test out there that like has like a screening portion on it that they just use Mm -hmm. that form. And they do it during Kids Day. But the catch is a lot of times, you know, Kids Day also includes, you know, sugary snow cones and, you know, like all the junk food. So, but you, it's really hard to say, okay, well, is it an accurate screen or are we just, you know, not paying attention and want to go down like a bouncy right. slide, right. you know? But it's a great start. But I never thought about actually opening up the doors to a physical clinic, much less using that as like a shifting point into other community supports. Like that's, you're like holistically treating the kid and the family there. And I love yeah, that. And we also, so for on that day, we also have our paper developmental milestones about, you know, if the kids are on the cusp and when they should call back or when they should take that next step. And so that part is always fun too. Oh, I love this. The things that I am learning. Okay. So moving along to the next one. Now, in my day-to-day grind, I have a tendency to feel overwhelmed when it comes to like managing the business, finding time to finish all the paperwork, make a cute Instagram post, call back all the early interventionists or call up the nurse or the physician to like request referrals. And I forget at times that there's other resources out there that could be helpful for my business. Like sometimes instead of having to do a post every which way I, you know, There's, you know, different links and different ways to manage my time better. But I still do rely on social media. So to kind of get some advertisement about neat things coming up in the environment or, you know, within the world of early intervention or one of my favorite companies in the entire state is the state agency, the South Carolina Assistive Technology. I love sharing Mm -hmm. what they're doing. But that gets cumbersome when I have to put it on so many different social media platforms. So do you use social media, like aside from Facebook and how do you use it? What do you use it for? That's a really good question. I can barely keep up with maybe getting a blog every few months onto the website. So I've had on my to-do list or or like hope list, I guess more than to-do list. I would like to start like a Pinterest page, not Pinterest, an Instagram page, but for right now, managing the Facebook and the website is what I've been able to handle. And I think that right now with my life and my personal life and the business and managing everything, that's probably the way it's going to stay for a while. But things are changing so quickly. And I do think that it's valuable to to keep that online presence a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So one thing that I I have worried about is like when I make a post on Instagram, like I shared one Okay, if anybody's out there on Instagram, there's this one guy that is absolutely hysterical and he's a speech pathologist and I follow his Instagram feed and he cracks me up. I think it's hard to swallow 
Yes, that's what it's called. Hard to swallow SLP. And he's so funny. I follow him. He does great posts about dysphagia and dysphagia management. And I had a kiddo the other day. I went to go do a therapy session and everybody, that's actually been like several weeks ago. And the kiddo's family was having Chick-fil-A for breakfast, which is, I mean, we'll be honest. We do that once or twice, you know, pretty regularly for the tiny humans in my household. And anyways, the dad took the honey chicken biscuits, like the little mini biscuits. He tossed it in a blender with a couple of hash browns, added a little bit of water, pureed it down so that the kiddo that I'm working with could still have what everybody else was having. And I'm like, props to the daddy. So I posted on there and the hard to swallow SLP is like, and I didn't specify that they added water to thin it. He was like, how did this turn to puree? And I was like, I'm so sorry. They added water. But like, (laughs) you know, he was, he was asking a genuine question and he didn't do it snarkier. You know, I mean, he was just, you know, poking fun and like, I think he's great. And like, so seriously, y'all follow hard to swallow SLP on it on the Insta. But sometimes you post things and it goes to the dark, scary corners of the internet and people like make rude comments. And it has turned me off from some of the Facebook groups because like I would want to post a question on like, you know, there's SLP Facebook forms and I would want to post a question, but some people are ugly and that has made me nervous. So have you used Facebook groups for like resources as a, like as a business owner or as a practitioner? Um, like where does that work for you? Well, like I said, Facebook has definitely grown leaps and bounds since I was doing all the, the legwork and the groundwork for building things. And I just recently join some of those bigger ones, those bigger groups. And, and I'm still weary. I'm just really weary about the people who are answering some of the questions and what their background is and what qualifications they have for answering. Like people will ask about reimbursement rates and it just, it really makes me weary for people who are looking into starting their own thing and using that as their, okay. as their so folks, point. I hope y'all just heard that might be some of the best advice that you're ever going to get when you go to open your private practice. Something that you read on the internet may not be true. Dun, dun, dun. But <laughs> you are absolutely correct. Have you vetted that? Trust, but verify. I can hear my daughter. And I think, like, I think people could spend a lot of time, you know, on there asking these questions, looking into things. Whereas if they went straight to ASHA or their state associations or you know, those sorts of organizations, if they started there first and then maybe double checked information on other social media outlets, that might be a better use of time. And I have been a member of AAPPSPA. Yes, I've heard of them. Yes. And so that's the American Academy of Private Practitioners and Speech Pathology and Audiology. But they have been around for a long time. And I do value the input from them. And I trust the quality and expertise of what I get from that group. Yes. They have an annual conference. I feel like it's every April. Isn't it every April? I think it's every April. Uh, I think you're right. Yeah. March or April. I think this year it's in Phoenix. Yeah. I've never been to one of their conferences, but like I said, I do get valuable insight from that group. Yes. Okay. So one of the things that a lot of folks don't know about is that your state association has three different members or should have three different members somehow embedded in their executive council. 
One of them is called your SEAL, your state education advocacy leader. And they act as a liaison between your state and ASHA for reimbursement and leadership for school-based SLPs. Then there's a STAMP, your state advocates for Medicare policy network. And your STAMP acts as the liaison and representative for like nursing homes, adults, acute, subacute, SNFs, LTACs, and ASHA. And then there's something called your STAR. We had Andy Larry on back in February 2019. Andy did one private practice pet peeves. And she is the South Carolina, well, at the time, she's the South Carolina STAR, the state advocate for reimbursement. And she covers whoever the STAR is for your state, covers and engages with all Medicaid and private health plans. And typically, they're a seasoned private practitioner. And this is very cool because most of those people, they want to see you be a successful business owner. Asha has an amazing person, Lori Alvin Havens, and she's a goddess. She doesn't know me from Adam. I mean, like I've emailed her a couple of times and she always emails me back, but like I want to grow up and be her. And she is Asha's person for basically all things coding, documentation, and reimbursement. Any question you could have about, okay, this is the kiddo. What ICD-10 code do I use? What CPT code would be ethical to use for, you know, this hour's worth of therapy. She's the person. They're actually responsive. I have emailed, a you know, when I was going through my LDP project and trying to gather stuff. And even over the years beforehand, like they really do respond and have answers and direction. And, and it's not just you put this out to ash and it doesn't go anywhere. It, it gets answered. And that's normally within 24 to 48 hours. Yep. It's yeah. And so many people say, well, what does ASHA do for me when they pay their dues? That. And they also have an ASHA app called the ASHA community app that they have monitors that actually get in there and they're like SIG 13 has designated SIG 13 monitors to make sure that the information being provided is accurate, is actually evidence-based, which is fantastic. Because yes, there are some SLP forums where they have rock star kick butt SLPs out there giving advice. But then sometimes the advice that is given is like, oh my gosh, don't do that. That's terrible. Don't say that. Don't do that. Right. But the community app and the questions that are posed there, you know, you're getting best practice. So use that just in case y'all haven't heard of that. You can download it to your phone for free. We also, in over the years, made it a priority to budget and make it to ASHA conferences. So if you or the convention. Yeah. So if that is at all a possibility, I learned some or I learned something every year by going to that reimbursement and billing breakout session. And in years that I can't make it, I make sure to invest in the online webinar that they they typically offer one or two a year. And and I really think that you might only take one tidbit away, but that tidbit can end up saving you a lot of money or making sure you're doing things the right way. Yes, yes. And I'll be honest, when I go to the regular ASHA conference, I am completely overwhelmed. It is so much that it makes me anxious. It's it's almost too people-y. <laughs> it's it is, it is. That's a word. But the ASHA Connect conference, the smaller conference in the summer, I love that conference because it's not too people It's like the right amount of people. 
I think it averages between like what, 3,000 and 7,000 people instead of like a million. 20. Yeah, (laughs) like all the people. But yeah, just as a food for thought, if you want to tiptoe into a larger conference, check that one out. Yeah, the connect. I also, I took a lot away from even therapeutically. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a great conference. Yep. 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 I think my favorite part about that one was meeting Kiki. The one you and I. Great. Oh, yes. When she said LinkedIn is not for little old white guys, but you need to get a LinkedIn account. I remember you and I looking at each other and both writing it down in our to-do list. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay. So now this one's tricky. And it's one that honestly, a lot of us just don't want to touch. But as you're a lady and I am working on my Southern charm to be more ladylike in the process, I figured we can go there. So let's do it. Professional competition. Now there, I said it. So let's cue the collective snap from all the listeners, because let's be honest. Yes. One, we all want the village and the tribe to build us up, but also innately, Let's also admit that we tend to want to be the best and that's a fine balance and can lead to an unpleasant bit of competition, especially when it's a limited amount of consumers in one geographical area. So all that being said, what are your thoughts and some advice? Right. So as you already kind of delved into, I came from another private practice in Reno and so I tread very, very lightly with that. Um, It was my intention that I did not interfere with their business when I gave my notice. And I I think I gave them eight weeks notice so that they could find a new clinician. It's sometimes hard to find clinicians in Reno. And so I wanted to make sure that the caseload was transitioned. And I did not tell any of the families where I was going. Even when they asked, I just told them that I would be working with kids. And That was my choice. I wasn't asked to do that, but I wanted to do that respectfully. And I valued the hard work that they had put in to build their business. So that being said, over the years, I think the best advice that kind of was shaped by Ryan and his background with business was to be aware of what competition is doing, but focus on what your goals are and Focus your energy on programs and development and what you want to do as a clinician, rather than being so worried about what this clinic's doing or what this clinic's doing or these new people that are in launching their new business. In Reno, especially, there is a need. We have grown, our whole community has grown hugely. We now have Apple that has a company site here and Tesla's here. So we've had lots of big companies move in. So there has not been a shortage of clients. And maybe also to not limit, like be so specialized when you open and kind of be open to taking whatever. I thought for a long time that we would really focus on cochlear implant stuff because that was really interesting to me. But we only had a couple kids here in Reno that had cochlear implants. And so that niche didn't really lead to anything. But over time, we developed a relationship with a neuropsychologist and we started getting referrals for these kids that were older elementary, later elementary, um, even into middle school who have executive functioning and higher level language deficits that weren't picked up by school. They didn't qualify, but we're still struggling. So we kind of went down that road. And then seven years ago, we started offering summer camps for social skills. And 
we used the social thinking curriculum and built that up. And that led into weekly social skills groups. And we, we have kindergarten group. We have a early elementary group. We have a tween group and a teen group now that run weekly. So I think just finding your passion around what you want to do clinically and then kind of rolling with it. The other area that I would have loved to see grow, but we had trouble with funding was the Hannon parent training program. But the difficulty that we run into with that is that parent training is not a billable service to insurance. And so kind of figuring out how to get that paid for was something we never kind of figured out. And then these other avenues came. And so just that flexibility and focusing on, I guess, more you, by, but also being aware of what's, what's going on in the community. That's beautiful. Okay. So I'm trying to process all. Of Sorry, that. that was a lot. That was a lot of words. That was a lot. And I'm like, I had thoughts on every single one of this. Okay. So the neuropsychologist, I'm stuck there. That is such a cool and fascinating component of speech therapy. There is an amazing speech pathologist out of Suchata. Suchata Kushnar out of, um, oh my goodness, what is, I'm going to pull it up right now. Suchata focuses on executive functioning and she addresses teens and Suchata Kamath, Cerebral Matters LLC. She has such a cool podcast. Y'all, I would seriously check her out. She's down in Atlanta and she is absolutely wonderful. I think she even did a TED talk a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago. I don't know. But she was explaining what it is that she works on with executive functioning. And that's fascinating to me because I kind of work on the opposite end of this spectrum, so to speak. So I'm just kind of thinking about how that kind of therapy session would look like. And social skills groups, do they have a lot of scripts? Are you using a lot of scripts with that? Or are they more dynamic? What does that actually look like in your clinic? Yeah. So these are mostly like kids who have ADHD or autism, and it's that higher level uh, social pragmatic skill development. And so a lot of times you'll have your plan and you'll go in and you will not follow that plan at all because somebody <laughs> in the group will say something and you have, you know, you use what they're giving you, especially with that tween group. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so no, not really scripts or even following much of a plan. So just really knowing that curriculum and you know, Michelle Garcia Winner has so many resources. And if you can ever get to see her, you can take away things for children, whether they're on the spectrum or not, because it really lends itself to even play and preschoolers. And then we're working with these kids who have these other things going on. So yeah. So no, not, not any scripts. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I have her book on my nightstand next to Actually, my pastor's book, which is a comedic take on faith from walking. He's a hiker and it's hysterical. It's um, Blazing Faith and it's really good. So her book is up there also with that Girl Wash Your Face book. <laughs> so like I've got my like oh, yes. nightly to do when I'm not on the Instagram. Okay. All right. Well, I, I mean, one thing that I have found is the more creative and the more I put myself out there, in different forums and in different ways, people have made ugly comments to me about me. And that has been difficult as an individual to take. So you kind of got to like slush it off and just kind of duck on water it to quote an, an older friend. 
And I've even had people say ugly things about the way I do therapy and my approach to therapy because I'm very functional and I'm very holistic. And I think that we need to have all the referrals and get, you know, build a team for the kid. And for me, it's typically like, you know, we got to get in and get a larger medical team going for a child. And that's a negative side of competition. Yeah. And that's one that you kind of have to acknowledge. And if the timing is correct, have a crucial conversation politely with that person who is saying those things, not from a tear them down, but, you know, just a, you know, hey, I, this got back to me. It must have been misconstrued. Is everything okay? You know? And I think I would also like to comment that that part did not come easy for me. And I think I've grown over these past 13 years. And yes, yeah, because I did worry about like when new people would open and what it would mean and would we still get clients and, Mm -hmm. you know, that I think I've matured as I've seen the programs be successful and have great clinicians working. But yeah, I mean, that stuff is unfortunately still out there. When we opened, there was a huge disconnect between school-based speech pathologists and the private practices in Reno. And they, we would have parents that would ask their private clinicians to go to the speech IEPs. And it was like, they were butting heads. And so we worked really hard to keep the lines open and say that we were part of the team and that we wanted to work with the school speech pathologists. And I think we really changed some of that climate for Reno because Reno, even though Reno is bigger, we're not that big. So it's, we, everybody knows everybody. And so I really feel like that has shifted significantly since we opened. That's awesome. That's something to be proud of. Yeah. Well, a lot of it was, a lot of it had to do, I think with our friends that were going into the school district that we had just graduated with. Mm -hmm. So I think that helped a lot too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you may not be the right therapist for a kid at that moment in time, but sometimes those kids will come back to you. And remember folks, the therapy world is small. The forums are small, a comment here, a post here, it circulates and it comes back. So before you hit send, before you open your mouth, Michelle Linwood Dawson, before you open your mouth, <laughs> take a big deep breath, pause and pray maybe, and then speak. You know, but you you have to remember, all of us have different evidence-based triangles. I am a diehard, no chewy tubes, no Z vibes kind of therapist when it comes to learning to eat, but that's based off of my experience. Now, again, like I said before, for the child that's self-injurious, that you know, needs to be regulated and they're, you know, they're in a different part of Holland than, you know, those that have arrived in Paris, then yes, that may work for them for regulation. That's OT world, not my world, you know, but that makes me one type of therapist. And then there's colleagues out there who are diehard fans of that. And that's, that's okay. There's different entire clinics that embrace one philosophy over another philosophy. and. Again, we're there to service the child. And if it doesn't match that family and their needs, we still have to be able to have an open, honest rapport with our competition to say, hey, I have a kid that I need to send you or vice versa. And there's this amazing therapist up in the Northeast side of Columbia. And I love her and respect her and adore her. And she works for a company that I used to work for. And I will absolutely refer back to her 
when like the kid has like is graduating my level of need, I'll say, hey, you should go see this person. And they're like, didn't you used to work there? And I'm like, yep, but that therapist is fantastic. So, but that's really cool that even though once upon a time I was a staffer there, that we still have trust and professional joy that we can do that continuity of care. So just- That's great. Yes, yes. But competition, I don't like that word. (laughs) Even when it comes to tiny humans and soccer games. (laughs) Okay. Well, Miss Shauna Ross or Mrs. Shauna Ross from the Sierra Mountains, not the Rocky Mountains. (laughs) Is there any other bits of advice or words of encouragement just off the cuff? If somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, I think it's time. I think it's time. If you could go back and tell you 13 years ago, what would you say, love? Oh, my goodness. I guess to be prepared for those really great times like shopping for the toys. And then hold those when things get a little bit harder. And to know that you made it to grad school, you're a speech pathologist, we have like strengths. And to use that grit and know that even though it seems scary and you don't know what's going to happen next, that if you are flexible and patient, that it will probably work out. And to, to utilize the resources and keep those lines open. Mm-hmm. Mm. And for what it's worth, my little bit of advice is find your people and love them hard. Because when you start a private practice, it's not just you. You're going to have so many mentors that you're going to be relying upon and make sure you tell them thank you. Because that's, and especially when you have the husband that works like 60 hours a week, but yet still finds time to help you do yours. (laughs) Like make sure you say Thank you. I appreciate it because it's it's hard on a body and hard on a tribe, hard on a village when you're starting up a private practice. But oh Lord Almighty, is it it has absolutely been worth it. So all right. I agree. Yep. So for what it's worth, I'm gonna do a shameless plug for a course. I'm gonna be given in a month on Friday, July 19th in the glorious city of Greenville, South Carolina. Y'all, you need to go. The food's amazing. Basically, just eat your way through downtown Greenville. McCullough Therapy Solutions, it's also a private practice, and they've been around for several years now. They're hosting a six-hour pediatric dysphagia ashes CEU course that I'll be lecturing on. We're going to jump right into central pattern generators, as or I like to call them. My reason for why I do not use chewy tubes and vibrating sticks and as well as evaluation ideas for kiddos that have unique disabilities and the appropriate referrals and professions that we need to refer to and why, as well as functional treatment options. So you can visit www.mtskids.com backslash continuing hyphen education for more information and register. And I hope to see y'all next month, Friday, July 19th, for a six-hour course. So on that note, Mrs. Shauna Ross from Sierra and not the Rockies, um, hold the line and we're going to switch over to questions, darling. All right? Hey, Michelle here. Did you know that First Bite, Fed, Fun, and Functional is partnered up with FeedingMatters.org? That's right. Our pod courses and webinars can be found on the feedingmatters.org uh, learning center. 
Also, be sure to mark your calendars for two days of evidence-based education on pediatric feeding disorders, the entirely virtual 2020 International Pediatric Feeding Disorders Conference. That's right. On January 24th through 25th, 2020, join pediatric feeding leading experts for intermediate and advanced level sessions, no matter your location. For more information, visit ipfdc.org. One more time, that's ipfdc.org. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Thank you.